Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now. Thank you so much called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com, and definitely check out those shows as well. Patty Callahan Henry is the author of Once Upon a Wardrobe and Surviving Savannah. She is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author of 16 novels, that's 16 novels, and a podcast host. She's the recipient of the Christie Award 2019, winner of Book of the Year, also the Harper Lee Distinguished Writer of the Year for 2020, and the Alabama Library Association Book of the Year for 2019. She is the co-host and co-creator of the popular weekly online Friends in Fiction live web show and podcast, which, by the way, I was a guest on, and it was so nice of them to have me. Patty is also a contributor to the monthly life lesson essay column for Parade Magazine. A full-time author and mother of three, she now resides in Mountain Brook, Alabama, and Bluffton, South Carolina, with her husband, Welcome, Patty. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. We're going to discuss Surviving Savannah and also Once Upon a Wardrobe. Congratulations. Thank you. I am so thrilled to be here. We get to talk off camera sometimes, but it's nice to do it and actually discuss books. This is fun. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks. And, you know, we first, I, well, maybe not first, but one of the times we got to know each other was when you all were interviewing me, which was so nice on Friends and Fiction. And I just love all of your co-hosts and you guys do such a good job. I was so blown away by how professional all the, it, it was just the, from everything from the graphics to the conversation to the coordination, it felt like I was on a real 
show, like a real. You were on a real show. Like it was like a real, it's really produced. It's like a highly produced TV show on, on the internet. It's like very cool. It's just very cool. Thank you. Well, it was so much fun talking to you. I mean, that had to have been over a year ago. Yeah. Right. It was a long time ago. And yeah, yeah, that was fun. Okay. Can we talk about Once Upon a Wardrobe first? Because I'm like in love with this book. I was not even expecting to be as, because I was like, okay, C.S. Lewis, great, Narnia. And I was like, stop what I'm doing. This is like such a good book. I am like so interested in his life and the way that you made us like rooting for this little boy and his family Mm. and the mom with the like heart of the light filled. Oh my gosh. It's so, it's really, really good. So anyway, why don't you tell people, why don't you tell everybody what it's about? Thank you. This book, and I just sat and and listened to you talk about it because it fills me with so much happiness that this book, which got me through most of the lockdown, was my place to go when the world was madly burning around me, right? So it's it's March of 2020, almost exactly two years ago this week, Zibby, that we all wow. went, wait, what? You know, and my college age son came home and my graduate school age son came home and then my husband came home. <laughs> And there we were, right? All in one house with one internet when I'm accustomed to, you know, working alone and the world is madly going, burning and going crazy around us. It's not hard to remember how it felt that March and April. And I'm sure this book would have been written at some point, but it definitely was the book where every single day I was able to go to England and spend time with Jack and Warney and this little boy, George, and his sister and the countryside of England and Oxford. And I could go there and not, and, and almost find my centering in it. But what it's about is what you asked. The, the, it came to me when I was writing Becoming Mrs. Lewis, which is a story about C.S. Lewis's very complicated and amazing genius wife, Joy Davidman. And when I was writing that book, I noticed all these little seeds of Lewis's life that I could see in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mm. I am not a Narnia expert. I'm not a Narnia scholar. I could see these moments in his life. And it just struck me that for all of us, including you, there are these moments in our life that you you can point to in some people's work. You read so much, Zibby. I'm sure sometimes you meet someone and you're like, oh, that part of your life is in it. Or, And even though we can point to that, there are these large swaths of story source that are completely ineffable, completely mysterious, completely unexplainable. You can't really answer the question, where did that story come from? No matter how many angles you come at it from. So I imagined a little boy who was ill and obsessed with The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in the year it came out of 1950. And he asked his sister, who went to Oxford, to track down the author who taught at Oxford and ask him where Narnia came from. She wanted a simple answer, and instead he told her stories from his life. Which were amazing. I mean, so did you... Did you know any of this? Did you research? Was this all true? Like, is he really, was he really missing joints in his thumb? I meant to Google. That was true. Yes, all true. All of that is true. 
So I knew I learned some of it when I was writing the book about joy. But when I started writing this book, after I picked the seven events, I mm-hmm. wanted to narrate, not tell you what that I wanted to narrate through George's eyes. Yep. Once I picked those seven, then I did a really deep dive and found things like he was bad at sports because he was missing a digit in his thumbs, yeah. which sent him to sketching and writing and drawing. Yeah. So these are the things that when we find out about these small moments in an author's or person's life that changes the direction of their life, mm-hmm. I just think it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. I love how he and his brother really together made these whole worlds. What was it called? Nexor or something like that? I get it wrong. Boxen. Boxen, sorry. Boxen. Yeah. How they had this whole other world and it was almost like this animal land meets like this fusion of their both of both of their imaginations as the precursor to what becomes Narnia and how it's just it's just them like using their brains. And this is mind blowing for kids today, thinking of what goes on in my house, right? That this is what comes. And even just the notion of like, well, where, where does it come from? And even Meg's who's like, well, you can't, there's no answer. And then of course, C.S. Lewis Jack is just like, well, of course, you know, that's not true. Like it's yeah. very real, especially the part where you say, where Meg says, you know, well, it's, you know, I don't read it. It's for kids. And he was like, no, 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 like, this is not a kid's book. What was your experience of reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe originally? Like, did it always, did you have a special place in your heart for it? Or was it just great fodder for a a novel like this? Oh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, for me, is probably one of the seminal books in my life. Probably foundational. It's It's a book I found when I was very young and read over and over. And what's fascinating about that book, as most books that are powerful, is that they change with age, right? Mm -hmm. So reading it at nine years old and reading it at 50 years old, you get two completely different things out of it. But when I was a child, I mean, I would walk around the forests of Cape Cod looking for a secret door. I believe that somewhere I was actually a queen you know, that I, that I could find a secret door and, and walk through it. And what, what is so amazing about that book is not only the imagination that it came from, meaning the author's imagination, but the imagination it spurs in, in us when mm-hmm. you read it, because it's one of the few books in the world that even if you've never read it, you know what it's about. Mm -hmm. So you might meet somebody and say, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and they'll say, you know, I've never read it, but they know who Aslan is. They know who the White Witch is. They know who Tumnus is. It's become part of our almost consciousness, this story. And for me as a child, it, it unlocked my imagination in so many ways. Wow. That's amazing. I read it. But I, and I read the whole, you know, everything that came next and I loved it, but I, it wasn't one of those books for me that changed my life. I don't know why. I mean, but you read them and you wanted to know what happened, right? And no, you probably, totally. I, I, lo- right? I loved it. Yes, yes, yes. I, but I don't know. And you probably once in a while think about it, like something all, yeah. you know, a, something in the world comes up and it reminds you of Narnia. And that's what's so crazy about 
the power of that. And it's the same with people who love Lord of the Rings or, you know, any of those world building things that you'll see a lamppost in a snowy, you know, forest and you'll think Narnia. Like how many books do that? Hardly any. It's so true. It's so true. You have this funny line in the beginning. Well, not really, but whatever. Let's see. Well, this is when Jack is explaining it. But maybe Narnia had its first seeds in a land that my brother and I imagined as children in our attic. We called it Boxen. What do you think, Warney? It's quite possible, replies his brother, but there was no real magic in those stories. Maybe the magic came later in Narnia. And then Jack says, perhaps I was training myself to be a novelist. <laughs> it's true. I and, it. and I love looking back, and I bet you do too. I mean, have you ever like looked back at what you think are the stepping stones that you didn't know at the time? But the stepping stones to doing what you're doing now. I actually just wrote a whole book about that. <laughs> That's my point. That is my point, Debbie. Yes, exactly. I knew that. So yes. <laughs> I, it's just, and it is, it's fascinating because we can look back at those steps and say, they were all leading to right here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your memoir is, is, I can't wait to read it to hear what those are, but Sometimes we don't stop and look backwards to mm-hmm. see that. And sometimes when we do, it's astounding. Maybe I was training myself yep. to be a novelist, right? Somebody said, like, what advice would I give at one point? And I was like, someday it will all make sense. Yes. <laughs> you know, like, it doesn't make sense yes. at all. And I'm like, this is going nowhere. There is no way all these different threads are ever going to link up into this beautiful French rape. Like, no, it's just going to be a mess but you don't know. You don't know. It all, every, your brain keeps all these things. I mean, it sounds so obvious, but no, it's a, no, it's a spider web. But, but I think too, what, what goes into that is we can get so caught up. Now we're having a psychology moment instead of talking about books, but we can get so caught up in this idea that we have to know what we're doing all the time, mm-hmm. right? That this thing I'm spending my time on right now needs to like have purpose and make sense. And sometimes if we just follow our curiosity and do the next thing and then the next thing, that's what happens. And when I was writing that book and I was looking at his life, there were probably huge swaths of time where he he felt, well, I know there were, when he felt lost and, mm-hmm. and, and wounded and losing your mom at nine years old or <sighs> going to a horrible boarding school or you know, being beaten or like, and then you look back and like what you just said, and then it all makes sense. And to be able to take those ordinary moments in your life, which he did, and then through the alchemy of story, transform them into something extraordinary is the gift of, of looking back and paying attention. I think. Wow the way you wrote about the mom's illness and like being on the table dance. Oh my gosh. Heartbreaking. It's so painful. I know. So painful. Okay. Also, I want you to talk about surviving Savannah, which is now in paperback. Congratulations. Very excited. Thank you. So tell me more about that book. Cause I have to admit, I have not read that book, but I did love once upon a wardrobe. Oh, I did not give you time to read surviving Savannah. Surviving Savannah is the true and lost to time tale of a shipwreck that happened in 1838. And I found out about it about eight or nine years ago when a pal of mine in Bluffton, South Carolina said, this feels like your kind of story. It is all, only four women survived. And it's this fascinating tale that was literally lost to time. 
And I said, no, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. And then about five years later, I said, I'm just going to look it up because it is starting to sound interesting. And by then I was writing historical fiction. So I plugged it into the computer, looking up this ship after doing some reading and a headline popped up that said SS Pulaski, which is the name of the ship, discovered, just discovered 30 miles off the coast of North Carolina, a hundred feet deep. And it hit me that there was a reason, there was a timing for why I wasn't interested in it before, because now they have found it. And while I'm digging up stories about this lost ship, somebody else is quite literally digging up the treasure from this lost ship. So this company was is a treasure hunting shipwreck company and they were bringing up the gold and the silver and the jewelry and 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 these fascinating artifacts from 1838 while I'm over here digging up stories about the passengers so I discovered a family who boarded the ship together a mother a father six children and niece yeah nine of them and they boarded the ship together and the father was a financier for the ship and he took this whole his whole entire family and it blew up off the coast of North Carolina. So I knew I had my people and now I had this treasure hunter. So it is a dual timeline story about a museum curator who's working on bringing up the exhibit. And then we meet two women. I feel like most shipwreck stories are told from the men's point of view, the mm-hmm. captain, the first mate. And we meet two very real women from history. I changed their names, but, and we see them on the ship because captains are thinking about something different than a woman who has no six children on the ship, right? How can I find, and men and women were housed separately on steamships in 1838. So we, we follow these women, some floating five days and five nights at sea, while also learning about what they're discovering at the bottom of the ocean. Amazing. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 
20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. Well, that sounds great. All your books are like movies. They all sound like movies. They all like have the cinematic feel, even the way you talk about them, which by the way, I feel like I could listen to all day. Are they, are these going to be movies? I'm always so interested. Are they? Oh, I mean, you know, they always tease and call, but Nothing's happened. If you, if you have someone you want to give a ring to, just okay. feel free. This feels but, to me. It feels to me like um, how Tom Hanks did that remake of what was the one with the train? You know, the the train and the boy. <laughs> oh, 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 the Polar Express. Yes, thank you. That one. Well, especially Once Upon a Wardrobe, and, and I think Zibby, when I write, I don't. When you were writing your newest, uh, uh, you know, your memoir, is that what it, you're calling it a memoir, right? Yeah. I mean, do you see things visually or do you, right? So uh, people ask, you know, often like, where'd your ideas come from? And sometimes there are questions, but but so often they're visual. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm writing, I'm so hopefully when I'm describing it, you know, it, it feels visual too. But I think, you know, stories and images and scenes come to people in different ways. Some people it's literally, you know, with words or or, but for me, it is very visual. Yeah. I see it in scenes, right? Like it like plays. Yes. I try my best to <laughs> transcribe or something. Transcribe. Yes. And it's so hard because it never, ever matches. Mm-hmm. Like you can remember that scene from your life, I'm sure. And you write it down and you're like, I didn't all the way capture it. Right. Yeah. And I do that with scenes in my novel. Like, they're, they're on this floating piece of wood and they've gone three days without food and water. And you're having to find this courage and strength and perseverance really deep down that you're not sure that you have. And I read it and I'm like, but I saw it so much better than that. <laughs> so we do the best we can. We do the best we can. And what are you working on now? I have a book that's coming out next June. It is right now called The River Child. I have a feeling the title will change. Okay. I'm really excited about it. Once again, it came to me in an image. And I think what happens to me often too is when I'm researching one book, another idea starts to bubble on the back burner in the back of my mind. And I don't even realize it until, so they all seem to be outgrowths of of the book before in some way. But when I was writing Once Upon a Wardrobe, one of the seven events in that book, as you know, is when children were sent away Mm -hmm. to the country to live with other people and leave, leave London or Lancaster or any of the large cities so they could be safe. 
And it has the strangest name. It was called Operation Pied Piper. (laughs) And if you know anything about the Pied Piper legend, it is about a piper who plays a flute and leads the children out of a town to drown. They all die. Everybody in the legend dies except a child who is blind and doesn't follow him. So, and and it the, it's a legend and lore that that's based on a, a myth out of Germany, but also based on like it has all kind of you know moral code in it, as most of those do. But I I became fascinated with why would they name an operation, or they would call it a scheme in England, to save children from bombs and name it the Pied Piper. Like it just, so that got my wheels turning. And I imagined, and this is what it's about, two little girls named Hazel and Flora, who are sisters. And the older sister, I'm still learning to talk about this book because it's brand new. That's okay, that's okay. Right, the older sister, Hazel, keeps the younger sister, who's five, Flora, safe and comforted with a fairy tale she makes up. So she makes up a fairy tale land that only the two of them know about. So when things are rough or they're missing their family, they go to this secret land called Whisperwood and the River of Stars. And a year goes by. They're living with a lovely family. Some children didn't get lovely families. They were living in a small town outside of Oxford, England called Binsey, which has its own legend and lore. And During the Blitz, the little sister disappears. It is assumed she drowned in the river. And then we flash to 20 years later. And the older sister is working in an antiquarian bookshop in London. And a book crosses her path in the back room. And it is a first signed edition with original illustrations of a fairy tale by an American author called Whisperwood and the River of Stars. Wow. Well, you definitely piqued my interest. So so it's about, you know, how story can save us. And so this fairy tale helps to solve a mystery that's 20 years old. But So Patty, what part of your life has been saved by writing? That's a great question, Sibby. I love that. So many parts of my life. But I would say that the first one was when I was really young. I was 12 and I grew up outside of Philadelphia and my family moved to South Florida when I was 12 and it was awful. And I went to three different schools in three different years and while they were figuring out where to live and and my dad was a pastor, so where they were going to put the church and it was terrible. It was terrible. It was, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. It was terrible. I loved outside Philadelphia. I lived in Ardmore and Narberth and I had my friends and my life. And, and this is in the mid to late seventies. So we're not calling each other. We're not, you know, Snapchatting. And I would hide in the libraries and libraries were my sanctuaries. And in books, everything made sense. And what we were just talking about earlier is someday it will all make sense. When I was 12, 13, 14, and hiding in the library, I believed that. I believed that someday it would all make sense. But the only reason I believed that was because I was reading books. I love that. 
How did so? How did you how did you get through the rest of the high, of the high school experience? Did you did you find your people or what happened? I did eventually. So when I was in ninth grade, I mean tenth grade, my parents said we're going to stay in Coral Springs and you'll go to the same school till you graduate. So Zibby, I decided I would be popular and and make friends, and I joined the Latin club. <laughs> Not how you get popular. That is not the point. I'm like, was she a cheerleader? What did she no. Latin. Latin. And I loved it. And and like we were just talking about earlier, it was a stepping stone to becoming a novelist because I became obsessed with the... Uh, no, I was a nurse before I was a novelist. So I thought I was taking Latin to for medical mm-hmm. reasons, like so that I could understand medical language and, 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 and carry that forward with me, which I did. And it was that, but it also helped me become obsessed with the origin of words, the origin of stories with mythology. And little did I know I was training myself to be a novelist. Wow. Well, now the more medical parts of the story make, make sense a little more in the hospital. Yeah. Hospital. And when George's lips are blue and when he's like even how his how he is when he's born and not really robust enough and all of that now I get where you're coming from too it's and people ask me a lot have you written about being a nurse and I said I never have and I probably never will I mean you know we never say never but I do know that almost every book I've used something from that time, whether it's a scene in the hospital or a family falling apart or a family at crossroads, because I was in pediatrics. I was a pediatric nurse. So even if I don't write directly about it, it shows up. Wow. Again, the mishmash of our brains and (laughs) what ends up coming out of this funnel. Yeah. Just quickly, I know we're almost out of time, but why did you leave nursing? And when did that happen? I left nursing when my kids were six, four, and one. And I was playing dollhouse with my daughter one day. And I asked her what she wanted to be when she grew up. She was six. And she looked me right in the eyes and she said, I want to be a writer of books. And I said, no, that's what I want to be when I grow up. And she said, you're already grown up. And I signed up for a writing class at Emory the next day. Wow. That's so cool. Is she now a writer of books? Not of books, but she is writing blogs and things like that. And I think she will. Right now she has a three-year-old and a five-month-old. So she's not doing much aside from survival. But And she's a beautiful writer. Um, She has a huge following on Instagram, Megan Moon. She's a beautiful writer, but I, she hasn't sat. I didn't sit down to write my first book till I was 35. So you never know when. Same with you. It's a, we've changed. Yeah. Right. It, it should have been obvious all along, but when it happens, it feels like a sharp left turn, but it, that's not what it is. I love that. It's where you were meant to go all along. <laughs> exactly. Now it all makes sense. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Patty, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing your story uh, and your stories with me. And thanks again for letting me reschedule to a different time. So thank you. No, thank you, Zibi. This was a blast. Okay. All right. Well, have a great day. Thank you. Tell me the release date of the book. My book? Mm -hmm. Uh, July 1st. It's called Bookends, A Memoir of Love, 
loss in literature. No, I've seen the cover everywhere. I feel like you should have called it. It will all make sense. <laughs> That's I'll your next that. one. I have to send you guys copy. I don't have enough arcs. I want to send them to everybody. First of all, I'm talking to now. I'm just like, anyway, I'm going to get you guys a copy. I'll send one. Well, or just send, shoot Netflix thing. Um, Netflix, holy moly. NetGalley. And we'll, yes. We'll read those okay. too. Whatever yeah, you want. Of course, okay. we'll okay. shout it out everywhere. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Take care, Zibby. Don't get COVID. Do not get COVID. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 365 day returns.